One of the joys of preaching in a seminary setting is that you have some freedom that you don't have in a local parish. Specifically, you have the freedom to tackle issues that would be rather difficult to understand to the average parishioner. You're free to use theological jargon without much explanation and references that would be utterly inappropriate in a parish. Even if some of us are a little ahead of others, the fact is that everybody in this community is still struggling to understand the mystery of God. In that sense, that is why I want to affirm that preaching to your peers, and yes, I am including not only faculty, but also staff and students in such a category, preaching to your peers is a joy. Our text for today proposes a provocative topic, maybe the most difficult one to understand or to address in biblical and theological endeavors, and that topic is eschatology. As most of you know, the word eschatology refers to the doctrine of the last things, given that the word eschatos in Greek means last. And that concept includes other concepts associated with death and life after death. For example, heaven, hell, paradise, resurrection, immortality, last judgment, and the like. To complicate matters, eschatology necessarily raises the issue of theodicy. Why does evil exist? How? Why people suffer? In scripture, we find different understandings of eschatological matters. But maybe the most enigmatic of all those understandings is apocalyptic eschatology. Books such, such as Ezekiel, Daniel, Revelation, they all portray the world as a battleground. A battleground between the forces of life and the forces of death. Evil tries to destroy the faithful. God prevails at the end. The faithful are rewarded. The unfaithful are punished. And these ideas are presented against a background that is utterly fantastic. Angels, devils, monsters, catastrophic events are commonplace in this kind of literature. We have to confess that the contemporary church does have a very uneasy relationship with apocalyptic text, apocalyptic theology, apocalyptic eschatology. On the one hand, it is a bit too fantastic for our taste. These kind of texts seem out of place in a world where most people do not believe in supernatural events. The children of modernity crave reason. And apocalyptic seems to be supra-rational. On the other hand, this brand of eschatology is partisan by nature. In our therapeutic society, most people do believe that there is no such a thing as evil, that whatever bad things happen are the result of either mental disease or flawed education. The mantra of contemporary society is judge not. 
The children of postmodernity crave diversity. Apocalyptic is sectarian. Yet the fact is that the Christian faith was born as a Jewish apocalyptic sect. The Jesus movement preached the imminent arrival of the kingdom of God. The new sect soon began to proselytize, asking people to baptize and to adopt a new way of life. The kingdom became the criterion against which all human institutions were judged. So, the religious and political establishment were faulty and considered demonic. The establishment answered with the usual level of brutality that establishments use. Murdering the prophet and killing the leadership. The institutional violence seemed to validate the original claim. See, they're killing us. The establishment is indeed demonic. So the forces of death had roared against the movement. However, Jesus murdered unmasked the evil nature of the establishment. Now the same ideology provided tools to understand Jesus' death. It was a triumph of life, of goodness, of justice, and of mercy. Jesus had died, but the Christ was risen. And his victory over the powers of death announced even our own future victory. This is the ideology that dominates the New Testament. Although some books, granted, have a, a more prophetic uh, tendency, like Luke and Acts. And others have a more a tendency toward realizing eschatology like Johannine literature. Apocalyptic rules. The New Testament. Consider just the reading for today. Let me refresh your memories. Keep awake, therefore, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But understand this. If the owner of the house had known in which part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and wouldn't have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an unexpected hour. Who then is the faithful and wise slave whom his master has put in charge of his household? To give to other slaves their allowance of food at the proper time. Blessed is that slave whom his master will find at work when he arrives. Truly I tell you, he will put that one in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked slave says to himself, my master is delayed. And he begins to beat his fellow slaves and eats and drinks with drunkards. The master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him at an hour that he does not know. He will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. These verses are found in Matthew 24, 42 to 51. This is a section of a longer apocalyptic discourse 
that extends from the beginning of chapter 24 to the end of chapter 25. The discourse parallels the 13th chapter of Mark as well as some sections of Luke 19 and 21. The language is thoroughly apocalyptic. Jesus Christ is portrayed as the powerful son of man, borrowing an image from Daniel 7.13. And that son of man in his coming ushers the end of the world and the final judgment. The faithful are to watch, to stay awake. To stay standing is the root of the word. Continuing the metaphor, such a return is compared to a surprising burglary that occurs in the middle of the night. It's sudden and it's unexpected. Those who watch, abiding by the teachings and the practice of the Christ, even in his absence, are blessed at the end. Those who do not watch are severely punished. At first, the text is gruesome. Suggesting the dismemberment of the unfaithful. However, uh, using the light from Qumran and the same community, there are texts that use this same image. So the current interpretation is that the proper translation, translation would be that the unfaithful are cut from the community and their part or lot or inheritance is with the hypocrites. And of course, hypocrite is code word for those enemies of the community. You know, such are the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Herodians. At the end, the text is still gruesome. Well, there it is. Our reading is an unabashed, apocalyptic text. It not only affirms Jesus' second coming, it even has some brimstone on fire. To top it, the text that stands in front of us, warts and all. It is sectarian, it is supernatural, it is even patriarchal, talking about slaves and kingdoms and masters. Our gospel reading has all those offensive elements that explain why apocalyptic eschatology is seen as an inadequate theological language for today. What are we to do with a biblical text such as this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe we should spiritualize the thing. And then watching would be a metaphor for spiritual development and prayer and cultivating a devotional life and and that watching would usher Jesus' coming to our hearts. That's a valid interpretation. <laughs> or uh, taking, taking the lead of, of my favorite theologian when I was in seminary. Actually, I, for a year, oh, sorry, I thought I was Boltman. <laughs> then the prose kicked in. Well, maybe taking the lead from Boltman, we, we should demythologize the text, you know? Just take the, the peel that is made of myth and go to the core and there find a message. And of course, as a good Lutheran, the message was 
that the word was primordial. So the message of this text would be that we have to heed the divine word that comes to us and challenges us to be truly authentic, truly human in a phony world. That preaches. <laughs> or maybe we should do what the new revised common lectionary has done. Eliminate this kind of text <laughs> from the lectionary. You won't find it in the New Revised Common Dictionary. Lectionary is not there. And actually, we can justify our decision saying that contemporary sensitivities cannot accept such a proselytizing, sectarian, and patriarchal text. I know how to do all these things. I could do all these things, but I won't. I won't. For two reasons. First of all, I won't because somewhere along the way I have come to understand that all theological languages are deficient. I have come to believe that when you boil it down to basics, theology is nothing but religious poetry. Theological language is poetic language used in an effort to describe spiritual experiences that by nature are undescribable. So even the most sophisticated theological languages, models and constructs, fail to properly describe the mystery of God. All of them. There I say, even Macquarie. Second, I won't do any of the things that I enumerated earlier because somewhere along the way I learned that all theological languages are determined by social location, by the social location of the theologians. The crib of apocalyptic ideas is suffering. Apocalyptic eschatology is the theological language that stems out of poverty and oppression and dependence and violence and death around you. Apocalyptic language is voiced by the suffering ones who drop to their knees crying to God, Why? How long? Where are you? Help me! I can't take it anymore! You see, the prayer of the abuela, the grandma, who lives in El Barrio, who is preparing to go visit her grandson who is in prison, the grandson that she raised after her son died of a drug overdose. Her prayer is apocalyptic. Maybe apocalyptic sounds so quaint to us because we are so comfortable. Having said all this, let me try to read the text again. And let me invite you to read it with me, picturing yourselves as part of the text. Just for a moment, let us think that we are the slaves that are supposed to watch. 
who are supposed to live according to the values of God's utopian kingdom. If we are those slaves, according to the text, the bad news is that some of us will be discouraged and drop out of the whole thing. Some of us will not believe anymore. Some of us will affirm truths that we no longer hold. Some of us will become hypocrites. The Greek word for actor will become performers of religious plays. That is the bad news. The good news is that others will still be awake. Keeping the faith, confessing Jesus as the Christ, calling people to faith, living in a truly countercultural way, denouncing institutional evil and personal sin, and suffering the consequences of that in their own bodies. Those who watch will have little or nothing invested in this present evil order, to borrow Paul's words in Galatians 1, because they're totally committed to this crazy utopian kingdom. Therefore, watch, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming.